0: In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a brilliant chat with Joanna Clute, the founder of sustainability software, Green KPI. Joanna tells us about her background as a pilot, plus how an illness and her mission of making the world a better place for her nephew led to her career as a sustainability consultant. We discuss what sustainability is, why smart cities and smart communities are so important in this, and how Joanna sees Australia embracing these concepts. Joanna and I then discuss the project she's been working on and how Green KPI came to be. She tells us about the three main barriers businesses face in implementing sustainability, as well as how important it is to be engaging and empowering people working at the ground level, not just those in head office. We explore making sustainability accessible and the need for small to medium enterprise to be included in this, plus the three-pronged approach to sustainability integrating across customer, business, and the government. We've been in chat discussing the emerging trends of food and water security that people aren't talking about enough, and the challenges, opportunities, and lessons learned in COVID around housing in cities. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The smart community podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Joanna. How are you today? Hi Zoe, I'm great, and you? I am fabulous and I am so excited to talk to you today. So let's jump straight in and can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about?
1: Ah, well, my background is um, my first career was as a, um, a pilot. I was started off as a bush pilot flying around Arnhem Land and then I uh, graduated to 747s flying for Qantas. I was there for 12 years until I was hit by a virus, and these viruses, yes, they're nasty things. Uh, it's uh, impacted my inner ear, and when your inner ear doesn't work so well, your balance goes out the window, as a few other things do. And um, I lost my medical. So um, I was out of action for a while because I was pretty sick with it. And um, about the time I was you know, ready to come back and find a new career, and, and, and you know, I really do like to be passionate about what I'm working in because you know, life is work, work is life. Uh, My brother uh, had his first son and uh, I looked into those babies' eyes and I went, well, Auntie Jo, you have to do something about this because this lad is going to grow up into a world that's going to be so much different than the one I had. You know, I I never had to think of food security. I didn't have to think about climate change and everything associated with it, Uh, resource depletion. Uh, These things just didn't come up, but in the next 20 years they will definitely be coming up. And uh, when he's 20, he's going to say, Auntie Jo, what did you do about this? And I need to be able to give him that that answer. And that's what I'm passionate about is my report card in, when he turns 20. Yeah, wow. So how old is he now? 11. 11, wow. Oh, no, he's just turned 12, just turned oh, 12. Yes, yeah, so I'm 12 years into my mission. I've only got eight years now. Oh, that's so exciting.
0: We're going to jump into your mission, but let's first go back to smart communities and... Mm-hmm. Tell us what sparked your interest in this smart community space.
1: Well, during my degree, I began to understand uh, that sustainability really is about the relationship between the environment, society and the economy. And a city is, and when we consider that you know 70% of the world is living in cities um, and and if if it's not 70 it's getting towards 70 and there are more people moving to the cities that if, if we can have a smart sustainable city amsterdam's a really good example at the moment they're moving to uh, to a share economy they're moving to a, to the donut economy where society and the environment and the economy are working together you know then we can start working on some of the issues that we have City by city by city, just by being smart. And I think a smart city is inhabited and designed by people who are aware that everything that they of, of the, that everything they eat, everything they drink, they wear, they travel in, they sleep in, they sit on, everything they watch has come from the environment, and it will go back to the environment. And as long as we have a good, strong, healthy environment, we have good, strong, healthy societies and good, strong, healthy economies. Mm.
0: Uh, well. You've kind of answered this already, but what is a smart community to you?
1: Yes, uh, it's a smart city inhabited by, uh, by people who understand the relationship between mm-hmm. the environment, society and the economy. And
0: why do you think that
1: this concept is so important? Oh, well, for me, it's my nephew. Because <laughs> my nephew, uh, no doubt he'll live in a city. And I need cities to be smart for him to have the best opportunity to maintain food and water security for his entire life, like I've had. Uh, Equity is such an important factor in smart cities. Uh, So we know that our consumption is not at the detriment of others. Mm.
0: And how do you think Australia is currently embracing this concept?
1: Mm, Well, we're not the Netherlands. (laughs) Um, who have just integrated, as I was saying, the donut economy, and, and they're, they're starting to integrate the share economy. But we are transitioning uh, to electric public transport in some cities, and more green spaces in other cities. We're not a leader in many respects, yet in others uh, we we are. So uh, we have a very high uptake of of household solar, but sustainability and solar are not the same thing. Uh, that's and and this is and the the solar is actually an uh, an economic answer to a, an energy problem. I think Australia uh, is, a, is a bit behind. Um, I talk to lots of suppliers of various, of various materials because I link suppliers into uh, Green KPI, into the app to assist our clients in becoming sustainable. And the feedback I get from a lot of them is everything from uh, building standards and the materials going into the buildings really are lagging behind many other countries, particularly Europe. I, I don't know why this is, I think, but it is a fact of life. And I think that we could do and we will do uh, a lot better. And perhaps this COVID where a lot of people have had a chance to stop and, and think a bit instead of being on that, that treadmill, uh, perhaps some realisations will start to uh, set in because what's going to be happening with climate change is kind of like a, COVID is a bit of a taste of some of that, you know, disruptions to supply chains, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's jump to you and tell us about you and your business and some of the projects that you're working on.
1: Well, Green KPI came out of, um, after I finished my degree in sustainability, I set out to be a a consultant in sustainability and I kept coming across the same three barriers to businesses embracing sustainability and that was time, cost and knowledge. Uh, A lot of businesses didn't have time to, to think about it, to implement it. They didn't even know what it was and if they did have the time and they didn't know what it was, they didn't have the finances to, to invest in a uh, consultant, especially smaller to medium-sized enterprises. And I found that the larger enterprises, when they were engaging sustainability, it was very much about the head office. It was a, it was a top-heavy concept. So if you went to a store, a chain store in particular, and you asked the people on the ground, what is your company doing about sustainability? They Their answer was inevitably, oh, that's a head office thing. It had nothing to do with them. And sometimes it might be, oh, yeah, we give to charity. Oh, we support the local football team. That's not really sustainability. That's not really what it's about. Uh, so I wanted something that brought head office, that um, connected head office with the people working at the shop floor, so to speak, uh, that gave true staff engagement. And I wanted something that broke down those barriers of time, cost, and knowledge. I had been working on a checklist in a a, um, using a relative uh, database where I was, as my aviation background coming out, where I set out this checklist of things to do when I would work as a consultant. And I realised that I could turn that into software, so I did, and that became Green KPI. So Green KPI is now full of actions that can be delegated to uh, staff members or to administrators, it's full of those actions. It's about the that, that practical aspect of how to become sustainable. It's a practical guide, but not just that. It also captures the resource use, you know, how much energy has been used, how much waste has been produced, how much water was used and many other topics because i based it on the Global Reporting Initiative, which is the global standard in sustainability reporting and it has 33 topics across environment, social and economics. We started off with energy and we're bringing in uh, waste and effluence, materials, uh, local communities, biodiversity, water and we'll just keep on building those topics as we go. And then I needed to make sure that it was small to medium enterprise inclusive. We don't have a target market, so to speak, in terms of the type of business or the size of business. We want Green KPI to be have just as much value to a large multinational corporate as it does to the corner store. So the way we set out the pricing was that it was $33 a month per topic. So if you're the local store and you have an energy problem or a waste problem, you can just subscribe to one topic at 33 a month and you will get return on investment because you'll have a step-by-step guide on how to reduce your resource use or how to reduce costs associated with your waste production. So, if you're a large company, you might have a thousand stores across a number of countries and you, um, and you have this, uh, you'll have green KPI actions at each location. And let's say it's a supermarket chain and you have an 18 year old um, shelf stacker who comes up with a great idea on how to improve the sustainability at the store. That staff can approach uh, management and say, look, I've got this great idea, let's put it in green KPI. And you can. You can add that action in green KPI and it can go across to all 1,000 stores and all 1,000 stores uh, improved in their sustainability. And how does that make that 18-year-old feel? Empowered, valued, belonging. And so it increases that sense of well-being, which increases productivity as well. And all the workmates are thinking, wow, this is great. I can, you know, I I can come up with something as well. And I think that's really powerful. I think one of the big things about sustainability is is connecting with people uh, who are working at the ground level and being able to bring the advice from the ground level up to head office and from head office to support what the uh, people at the shop floor, so to speak. Uh, doing. I've worked in a number of places in my life and I've sat there in the lunchroom and I've heard the bemoaning, oh, you know, they should be doing this and they should be doing that. And when you say something like, well, why don't you bring that up to management? Oh, A, they're not going to listen to me. And if they do, the manager's going to take the credit for it anyway. Uh, So there's a lot of really good ideas that are being missed out on at the moment. And so we're filling that gap. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is, uh, so we might have a task that the the action, the action might say, consider retrofitting to eco refrigeration at the end of your fridge's life. Instead of leaving it at that, we also have a link in that action to somebody that we're working with who actually provides that product or service. So don't have to go to Google, just hit the link. And now that business that is supporting sustainable business and, and our client can communicate directly and uh, work out exactly what it is they need. So we capture the measurements and this is the the other great thing is we capture the measurements so as the actions are being uh, carried out that means the resource use is coming down so we capture that and then we take those metrics and the actions that have been carried out and we funnel them straight through to automated sustainability reports which are based on the global reporting initiative which is a global standard for reporting and that's just that's just all part of the support mechanism of the app that's that's not an extra that's just a a support mechanism. So what we're really proud of is that we're able to provide this really high-end service to any size business on the planet so long they've got internet access. And we're also getting it worked out so they won't even need to have internet access to engage with the app. Mm,
0: so interesting. And I think it's about, you know, making sustainability accessible. Mm. And I think that's so important because, yeah, like you said, it's it puts it, I guess in the realm of an everyday person or someone that works there rather than, oh, that's management's problem. That's someone else's problem and they deal with that. And yeah, that empowered, um, cause you can be informed about what's happening because if you can access it, but then empowered to actually make a difference. And that I think we under, we underrate that, you know, extraordinary. And I think that once we can. Yeah, make sustainable. And it, I talk about smart cities being, smart communities being just sexy sustainability because basically the principles are still there but now we have technology so people are interested in it again, which I think is a great thing. And, you know, whatever the flag ends up being, as my friend Brooke Dixon would say, we can wave that and it's about making a real difference using different ways of thinking using the technology that's available or the new technology to actually make things more sustainable.
1: Yeah, and the really important thing about making sure that it's small to medium enterprise inclusive is that uh, the World Economic Forum recently uh, said that, or put a paper out that said that 95% of the actual work done, the actual business done, it it, it may be on behalf of a larger corporate, but the actual work done, 95% is done by small to medium enterprise. Now our vision is for a, a, a clean, green, equitable global supply chain. If we don't support every business to achieve that, well, there's no way we can ever have that. We have to have sustainability embedded in in any and every business to achieve that global supply chain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I think yeah, sometimes we often think, oh, it's up to the big, the big people, the big businesses to do that, but. Yeah, totally. Once you look down that supply chain, it's small to medium enterprise.
1: That's right.
0: Can you give us some examples of? Obviously, you might not be able to talk about specific clients by name, but um, you know, clients that you work with and some of the return on investments that they've been
1: seeing. Uh, the one that always comes to mind uh, is uh, it was a um, it was a building that houses uh, women when they're about to have uh, babies. And um, it was is in another part of the world. And so in there that they had a commercial kitchen, they had rooms. It was, it was kind of like a, I guess you could say like a, a nursing home to some extent. Uh, so they, because they had the, the kitchen, they had a lot of food waste. They had a small shop there. So they had um, you know, drinks, so drink containers, etc. They had air conditioning and um, that there were, Lots of like, televisions, small fridges, all those sorts of things. And um, they also had solar installed. They weren't monitoring the solar, so they didn't know how well it was working. Uh, they didn't have composting in place, so they were paying by weight and volume for all of their waste. They didn't have recycling. They didn't have good management over the use of the air conditioning. and It was turned down at 18 degrees instead of sitting at um, 24. They had a number of issues that, when you put it all together, on top of the fact that they were on the wrong uh, tariff for their energy supply because they still needed to bring in uh, energy as well, I was able to save them twenty thousand dollars in the first year. When I say I, I mean it was uh, that the combination of what they did in, in terms of being able to steer them in the right direction. It's um, that's the sort of money we're, we're talking about here, uh, and that was not including. The work that needed to be done with the with the uh, solar array, because what we do with Green KPI is that uh, we we can build any API, we can talk to any other software system, and so we were able to set up so our software system uh, spoke to so Green KPI was able to speak to the um, the API, the the, um, the I guess computer interface of the solar system, so we could actually see how much solar was coming in and how much um, fossil fuel energy basically was coming in and then that could show up on the dashboard. And so being able to then actually see what was coming in and how to best manage it was an, was um, another way of bringing their costs down and their efficiencies up. Mm.
0: That's so interesting. And, you know, you think about that, I assume that's a, a small-ish business operation uh, and, you know, then if you scaled that across, you know, you just said they had, Five different sites or whatever—they're saving a hundred thousand dollars a year. But also, you know, you scale that to a local council or something like that. If they can reduce even one, two, five percent, the savings could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending. You know, if we're just talking dollars, let alone the emissions and even just the increase in education um, that then they'll then people will take back to their houses, you know, their homes, and then
1: all those things as well. I've experienced that. Uh, so when I when I uh, give a follow-up phone call from time to time and people have started carrying out the actions, uh, it's like light bulbs are going off. And just the most common thing I hear is, I do that at home now. It's just an awareness that needs to be built, just a mindfulness about how we manage our resources. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think
0: that really leads nicely into the next question I want to ask you, which is about integration. You know, how do we make sustainability an integrated part of our decision making, you know,
1: across different disciplines, government, industries, mm-hmm. community? I see the roads to sustainability as a three-prong approach where the consumer, business and government work together towards a common goal. We need businesses to have the confidence to produce sustainable products and services, which means consumer demand must exist. And the government ensures a level playing field in the way of regulations and other support mechanisms. So at the moment, I know so many people that want to engage, particularly millennials. The demand is there, but the supply isn't. And and it's very difficult for businesses to change the way they do business. They need to, of course, but they need the confidence because it it does take a bit of effort to change. And the confidence can only come by uh, consumer demand saying, being very clear about the fact that they want the change and also for government supporting them to make the change. And then I guess, I guess the consumer is also a voter. So the, the, the consumer, the voter, needs to vote for governments. to are saying, yes, this is what we want to do. We want to support sustainability. We want to support our businesses to transition into being sustainable.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And so I guess it's not just related to sustainability. That's kind of across the board. It's like being empowered to think that our, you know, as a consumer, our vote or our decision makes a difference and I think you're right I I mean I think yeah the younger generations are kind of pushing that and thinking about that as supply and demand um is also really interesting um so I like that uh, because we need both sides of that to be able to enact change or yeah yeah, make it make it different
1: yeah we vote with every cent or peso or mark that we we are voting for the future that we are leaving to our next generations.
0: So what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough?
1: Food and water security. Mm -hmm. uh, Increasingly a concern globally. There are uh, a few uh, water hotspots around the world where water wars could lead to food insecurity. Uh, Rain patterns have changed and the natural water storage systems are beginning to show signs of stress. It's Simple maths: that when more water is being used and is going into storage, we will run out. People are turning to growing their own food, catching their own water where possible, and cities are recycling water and using it for other functions such as cooling and heated buildings. As the water circulates, there's a lot of really good good ideas being enacted in cities now. Uh, there are some six star buildings; we're going to seven star buildings now as these ideas are coming in. But the idea of You know, humans, it's very difficult for us to be able to see a really big problem that's too far in the future. Uh, But the people who are studying these things, uh, they're really worried. The problem is there. I don't know of many water storages around the world, you know, the underground water storages that are actually going up. And that's for a number of reasons, and that's because – the, uh, yes, the rain patterns are changing with climate change. The ground surfaces have changed a lot. They're not sponges anymore. There's a lot of hard services, so it can't sink in. It just runs off into the ocean. Uh, so that's just two very simple uh, reasons why. Uh, so the water cycle is, is stressed. It's, it's not just to say that it's not the same amount of water But what we're getting also now is with climate change, with this extra one degree of temperature, so the air is one degree warmer and warm air holds more moisture. So if you think back 30 years ago, how often did you hear the term flash flooding compared to now? Now what happens is that when that water does let go, there's a lot more water being held up in the atmosphere than there was before. So when it comes down, it comes down in torrents. And it's just so much harder for when that water comes down so hard and fast, so much at once, onto the change services for that water to get back into the water storages and then, of course, the water that is being stored is being being used at a much greater rate because of, you know, irrigation mostly and some of it for, you know, other commercial purposes as well. Mm, mm.
0: Yeah, so interesting and 30 years ago. I just turned 30, so I can't answer that question. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, but even 20 years ago, you know, the, the, the totally flash like flooding is, 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 you know, you hear the number of villages being wiped out because it was a big landslide. Well, that's because of the huge amount of water that is now just locally, you know, in Queensland, there's um, mm. not so much where I am here in far north Queensland, but Brisbane, flash flooding issues are, are much more than they were a couple of decades ago.
0: Mm, so interesting. And I think we'll see, well, I'm hoping that we'll see a lot of change after we move out of COVID, then hopefully an increased amount of, I guess, focus on sustainability and some of these issues because COVID has kind of looked at or exposed digital divide and that type of thing, which um, isn't super related, but also, you know, supply chain, Mm. supply chain issues. And obviously there's going to be lots of research still occurring the scientists that are they're researching you know, the climate change and all those things to, to really talk and they'll be able to now talk about the times where we did go into a less travel, less production, all those type of things.
1: So, yeah. Well, there are some uh, good things that are coming out of it because uh, one of the things that's also, well, that is being talked about is housing. Housing is a huge issue in many parts of the world. A huge level of homelessness, you know, populations moving for various reasons and not because they want to. And so when you consider that, like, you and I are doing this, not face-to-face, we are doing this through the internet, there's a lot of people who have discovered that you can work at home. You don't have to travel across the other side of the world to have a conversation. You don't have to travel to the city, to the office, to do your work. It is possible not to have all these uh, city buildings Full of people who were just there a third of the time. So what is now a, a possibility is that more people will work from home because they want to, it's more cost-effective for the companies, and what might happen is we'll end up with a bunch of empty offices in cities around the world, in cities around the world with major housing issues. So these a lot of these buildings could be turned into social housing or just housing, but I'd like to see a fair portion of that turned into social housing because there's a major social housing shortage in most cities around the world.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah no absolutely there's going to be and I'm very keen on looking at yeah the data in so many aspects of of the pandemic and they're, they're as much as they're yeah not making light of it but there's some definitely some significant hardships and and terrible things that are happening but then actually appreciating some of those Positives or little silver linings that are going to come out of this as well will be really interesting. I think it's really important that we take the lessons learned, whether they're positive or negative. And then I've been talking a lot about deciding what we want our future to look like so we can actually shape that. Because I think a lot of people were thinking that, you know, this is the future and this is how it's set in stone. And obviously, and COVID has been able to shock us out of that, right? It's like, well, actually, this is not guaranteed. This is it's not set. And so we can actually shape that. And then what do we want? What do we want to take from this time? What do we want to leave behind? What do we hope that we never have to think about again, but maybe we do, maybe we will have to in the future, but we'll have this time to you know, reflect on. We'll build some resilience. We'll you know, think about our businesses a bit differently, potentially we'll be more robust going into the future. So yeah, it will be really interesting.
1: Yes, it would be a waste of an awful situation to not try and find some silver linings.
0: It's been great to speak with you. I've really enjoyed our conversation and, you know, we had a conversation last week and this has been, and I just needed, you know, had to get you on the podcast to talk about it. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been great. I really look forward to our next conversation as well because I think there's lots of synergies in the things that we do and the things that, you know, we care about and our values really align. So.
1: Yeah, really keen to talk about some, you know, future opportunities together for sure. Oh, thanks, Zoe. Thanks for the opportunity to come on. And yes, absolutely, we are aligned. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, people do like to um to speak within their tribe. It's always uplifting. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Uh you can search uh Green KPI. Uh, or find me on LinkedIn, Joanna Clute K-L-O-O-T.
0: <laughs> Excellent. We'll put the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Thank you again for coming onto the podcast. And, yes, I really sincerely look forward to our next conversation. And, you know, it'll be probably remote for a long time, but that's fine. I'm quite enjoying just the levelling of the playing field if we do have connectivity and we do have the internet that you know we can continue to connect globally without traveling to the other side of the world or far north Queensland in your case yes
1: it's it's good it certainly allowed me to work from home so I'm back home in paradise and loving it Yep. yeah me too
0: okay well we'll wrap it up there it was great to talk to you again and um, yeah we'll talk soon
1: thank you bye bye The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community/podcasts. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at SmartComHQ. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Unity Podcast is what you're looking for.